Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. What is happening, New York Rangers fans, and welcome to episode 127 of the New Ice City podcast. I'm your host, Vincent Mercagliano of the USA Today Network. I just got back from Rangers practice on this Wednesday, November 15, 2023. We are in the middle of what amounts to a five-day break in the schedule, really six nights in between games for the Rangers. Kind of a quirky thing. I've had people ask me if this is a bye week. It is not. The Rangers bye week will actually occur leading into the All-Star break, which is coming up in late January. Then the All-Star break will be the first weekend of February. So this is not a bye week. It's just this sort of odd scheduling quirk that the team is dealing with and quite frankly comes at a pretty good time for them considering the injuries that they're dealing with. And in the meantime, they gear up for what will be a pretty big game. Not quite as big as maybe it could have been if both teams were fully healthy. We'll get into especially what's going on with the Devils as well. But they will be traveling to New Jersey for their first meeting that actually counts with the team that knocked them out of the playoffs last season. So on this week's episode to help us preview that big game on Saturday, we're going to have our friend Amanda Stein on the show. She is the official team reporter for the Devils, and she'll give us all the different updates on what's going on with Jack Hughes and Nico Heischer and some of the injury stuff that they're dealing with in New Jersey, preview the game against the Rangers. So that will be our guest coming up in just a little bit. But let's start with a lot of the latest stuff going on with the Rangers, who during this break that we're enjoying. I was actually talking to a few of the players today in the locker room, and I think everybody is really enjoying this time off, especially the guys that have families, and even the guys that don't, I think, are just taking advantage of a lot of extra sleep and relaxation right now. And you can't help but feel good if you're those guys, because not only do you have this little window where you get to get some R&R going, but you're sitting on an 11-2-1 record. 11 out of their first 14 games have resulted in wins for these Rangers who are right up near the top of the league as far as points percentage goes right now. The Bruins are rolling. The Vegas Golden Knights are rolling. Last I checked, they were slightly ahead of the Rangers. But you look at that Metro division, and the Rangers have already given themselves a little bit of cushion. We've got a long way to go, but things are going very, very well for this team, and that makes this break feel even better for them. And I want to discuss how they got here. We'll certainly go over some of the most recent names, but I mentioned the injury stuff, and we got a few more updates at today's practice, so that's all fresh on my mind, and I want to jump into that first because there's quite a few things to go over here. First off, the positives. 
Things are looking good for Igor Shosturkin and Ryan Lindgren. Shosturkin has missed the previous four games with what I was told is some kind of soreness. I don't know specifically which body part. The Rangers haven't really disclosed any of that information. But Igor practiced a few days last week. It looked like if they really needed him, he could have probably played in that game on Sunday against the Columbus Blue Jackets. But from what I've heard, the plan was sort of to scale back and take a cautionary approach. Don't push him this early in the season unnecessarily. Jonathan Quick has been playing well. Louis Domingue came up last week and ended up being a really cool story and was able to get his first NHL start in 18 months and performed very well in a win over the Minnesota Wild on Thursday. Actually, my first chance to really chat with him at length the other day. And it just, I felt so good for that guy. This is kind of a side note. I'm getting sidetracked here. But this is a guy who's got a young family who has continued to grind, even though he's into his 30s now, hoping to get another one of those NHL opportunities fully accepts and understands his role. He knows he's the third string guy here. I don't think he has any visions of all of a sudden jumping a Hall of Famer like Jonathan Quick or certainly not a Vesna Trophy winner in Igor Shosturkin, but prepared himself, was ready for the opportunity when it came along. We saw him step in for the Pittsburgh Penguins a few years ago and perform admirably, I thought, in a really pressure-packed situation against the Rangers in the playoffs. And I think that really caught the organization's eye because obviously they thought that they should go out and add him as a depth goalie. And he has been really solid for them in Hartford. His Hartford numbers are very good this season. And he stepped right in and did the job that they needed him to do on Thursday. So that's a little bit of a side note. And I think all of those factors are telling you why the Rangers felt like they did not need to push Igor. They could really scale this back knowing they had this big break coming up this week and make sure that there's no chance of re-aggravating what's ever going on with him and making sure that he's as close to 100% healthy as possible moving forward. So I think that was a very wise decision, but he's been on the ice pretty much every day recently, again, practiced in full on Wednesday. He even took part in the optional skate on Monday. Laviolette said there are no restrictions on him right now. I talked to Eeyore briefly in the locker room the other day. He told me he's feeling great. He didn't want to come out and just say that he was starting against the Devils on Saturday. Obviously, that's not really his job to tell us who's starting. I think he defers to the coach as he should in that situation. And Laviolette is taking his time with that decision. I don't think he wants to make any announcements at this point either because we've asked in the last few days And he's saying he wants to get a little deeper into the week before he announces anything. But when I asked Igor if he'll play, he just sort of smiled at me and was like, we'll see. So I have a pretty strong feeling that we will see Igor back in net on Saturday against the Devils. And I also have a pretty good feeling that we're going to see Ryan Lindgren in that game, which would mean that Lindgren actually won't miss any games, even after taking what looked like a pretty dangerous Borderline dirty hit, in my opinion, from Sean Corrali of the Columbus Blue Jackets. Him and Lindgren were sort of going back and forth at various points in that game. You could tell there was a little bit of bad blood brewing there. And then Corrali hit him along the boards. I believe it was, it's a blur now, but it was, I think, early in the third period. And 
The hit was hard. The hit itself wasn't really the issue, but Corrali raised his elbow quite clearly if you've watched that replay, and that's what I think I take issue with and what certainly I think the Rangers take issue with. And you worry in that situation about an elbow to the head. Could that cause any kind of a head injury, a concussion? It sounds like Lindgren is in the clear on that because Laviolette said he came into the facility the very next day on Monday and felt great. It does not sound like there were concussion symptoms at that point. He was able to skate on his own on Tuesday, even though the rest of the team was off. And Lindgren was out there on Wednesday as a full participant in practice. So it definitely looks like in the case of Ryan Lindgren, who has been such an iron man for this team and played through all sorts of injuries and pain over the years, that he avoided anything too serious in this instance. So he seems to be on track to play Saturday as well. But then on the negative side of things, the bad news here is that Philip Heedle does not seem to be any closer to returning to the ice. He was eligible to come off the injured reserve and play on Sunday. He did not. And again, Wednesday, I asked Peter LaViolette if he's even skated on his own, because a lot of times that's how they handle these injury situations. The guys will skate on their own, as I said Lindgren did on Tuesday, to make sure that everything feels okay before they join the team for a practice. And so even though we haven't seen Heedle for practice, We've all been curious about, well, is he at least skating on his own? And the answer to that question is no. LaViolette said that as of Wednesday, Heedle had still yet to take the ice since sustaining his injury, which is now about two weeks ago. So you have to be concerned. I wrote about this on Tuesday. The history of concussions here, I know we've talked about this before. I had one source tell me that they believe that Heedle has had at least four concussions in his career, if not more. And... As we talked about on last week's episode, the more concussions you have, the science, the studies tell us, the more likely you are to sustain another and the worse your symptoms tend to be each time. So this is goes beyond hockey, in my opinion. This is a life concern. This is a very young man who is now dealing with what we believe are multiple head injuries. And this time, it seems like it's been really difficult for him to get back to the point where he's comfortable getting on the ice. So absolutely feel for him because this is obviously a critical part of this Rangers lineup as whether you want to call him the second line center, or maybe he'll be the third line center whenever he does come back, but it's just not a good situation, even beyond the hockey stuff. So Heedle, I do not believe we're going to see him on Saturday against the devils. And quite frankly, I don't think anybody knows when the next time we're going to see him is. His health has to be the number one priority here, as it is with any injury, but particularly when you're talking about a head injury and the type of long-term effects that multiple concussions can have for the rest of your life. So this is something to monitor, and this is definitely something that I think everybody should be concerned about right now. So that is the bad news here. Adam Fox, we know that he's not eligible to come off of IR until or long-term IR until the end of the month. So that is a situation where we have a little bit more clarity right now. But Heedle and Fox, for the foreseeable future, especially when it comes to Saturday's game, you know they're probably not playing. Now, from a hockey team Rangers perspective, even without those guys, they continue to just chug along here. And the two games that have happened since the last time we spoke, I want to touch on those a little bit. The guy who's been at the center 
of these last two Rangers wins is Alexi Lafreniere. And I think that's a guy we got to spend a little bit of time on on this week's episode. Thursday, that 4-1 to win over Minnesota, his first career three-point game. He was very involved, super active in that game, a goal and two assists. And then Sunday's game, I mean, he was hands down the hero in that game. The Rangers didn't play as tight overall as they did against the Wild, but they still come away with a 4-3 to shootout win over Columbus, and that was largely behind two goals from Lafreniere, including an incredibly clutch goal from him that he scored with just 11 seconds remaining in regulation to force overtime. Then, just to put that little cherry on top, Lafreniere is also the only guy who scored in the shootout. Zabanajad and Panarin didn't convert their first two chances for the Rangers. The Jackets went 0 for 3, thanks in large part to some strong goaltending from Jonathan Quick. The only guy who converted his shootout attempt was Alexi Lafreniere. And you go back and you watch that play, the confidence that we've talked about and how important that is for a guy like that who has had his struggles early in his NHL career. To me, that play just speaks to how that confidence is oozing right now. You see him come in. He just looks so calm. He makes a couple quick little moves and he finishes with that smooth backhand perfectly, roofs it in the top right corner of the net. And that basically wins it for the Rangers. So a really, really memorable couple nights for Alexi Lafreniere. And I asked him after the game because I tweeted about this as well. This guy has been pretty, to be honest with you, vanilla in a lot of these interviews, I think he's keenly aware of what the narrative has been around him as a number one overall pick who hasn't quite lived up to expectations. I certainly think he was feeling the heat and feeling the criticism that was coming his way during the preseason, which at the time we talked about. I'm in full agreement that he did not have a great preseason and a great camp, but I also had said at the time that it seemed like maybe we shouldn't be overanalyzing or overreacting to that. It, what was really going to be telling was how he performed once the regular season started. And everything that we've seen since that happened has been really, really encouraging for Alexi Lafreniere. 11 points now through his first 14 games, riding a four-game point streak, seeming to grow with confidence and effectiveness with each passing game. And this is a guy who, if he continues along this path, is going to be a big breakout player for the Rangers this year and a guy who is really a key cog in this lineup, especially in that spot he's playing in now on that line with Artemi Panarin and Vincent Trocek, which Peter Laviolette said the other night, and I think we all would probably agree with him, that has been their most effective line at 5-on-5 five five this season, pretty much hands down. The other three lines still feel like a bit of a work in progress right now. Even though the Rangers are winning, there's a lot of reasons the Rangers are winning. Special teams is a big reason. I wrote about some of the intangible stuff, whether you're talking about face-offs, block shots, forechecking, the way that they've tightened up in the defensive zone, the way that they've tightened up in the neutral zone. I think all of these things are reasons why the Rangers are winning. The five-on-five offense has not quite been one of them, but the one line that is taking care of business in those situations and is putting up some points right now is that line with Lafreniere and Panarin. And I actually am excited about this interview because it was a really fun one. I'm going to write about this in the coming days. I sat at Artemi Panarin's locker with him for quite a while after today's practice and just picked his brain 
about what he's seeing from Lafreniere and how important confidence is for a young player like that and why the two of them seem to be meshing so well. And Panarin, as you guys know, not a big fan of being in front of the cameras, but when it comes to these one-on-one type of interviews, these sit-downs like that, and you get him going on a good topic, his English is much better than he gives himself credit for, and, and I thought it was really an insightful conversation, so I'm excited to write that one as well. But those two, if there's any simple truth, as I wrote the other day about this lineup right now, if there's anything that you feel like you have to keep in place, it's keeping those two on the same line. Who their center should be, there's some interesting debate about that because when Hedl comes back, I, I think Hedl had played well enough to deserve a longer look in that spot. But I also think that Vincent Trocek has been so good for the Rangers so far this season. One of their unsung heroes, as I wrote in my column the other day, I believe for this team, doing a little bit of everything for them right now. He has absolutely, I think, earned that job as well. And then I even think you could make an argument for saying, well, Mika Zibanejad is struggling a bit right now offensively, at least at five on five. How can we get him going? Well, I think if you put those two guys on his wings, that would probably be the best formula to unlock his game as well. So I think there's a debate to be had about who the center should be, but those two guys need to be on the same line talking about Panarin and Lafreniere. They have been awesome together. Artemi Panarin, at least when I looked yesterday prior to Tuesday night's games, was second in the league, just one point behind Elias Pettersson from the Vancouver Canucks for the overall point lead in the NHL right now. 24 points for him through 14 games. So Panarin is looking like the Hart Trophy candidate Panarin that we saw in his first year in New York. I mentioned, I wrote about that connection, among other topics, in my Five Thoughts column that came up on Wednesday morning. If you haven't had a chance to check that out yet, please do. And there's a lot of different things in there. Uh, One of the things, though, that I didn't get to touch on that I would like to just briefly touch on before we get to our interview with Amanda here is the final bit of news that we haven't talked about yet from this past week with the Rangers, and that is Chris Knobloch, their coach for the last four-plus seasons with their Hartford Wolfpack team, the AHL affiliate for the Rangers, has been hired to be the head coach of the Edmonton Oilers. I mean, what an opportunity for this Relatively young coach, only 45 years old at this point, but getting thrown into the fire here with an Edmonton team that has been very, very disappointing to begin this new season. They get rid of their previous coach, Jay Woodcroft, over the weekend, and they move quickly to Knobloch. And the obvious connection here to make, which I tweeted the other day, is that Knobloch spent four seasons coaching Connor McDavid, the Oilers' star center, during his time in the OHL. So clearly, you know that McDavid thinks highly of him, and I'm sure how to put his stamp of approval on this hire. But another thing that I've picked up on about Knobloch, and some of you will remember over the summer when the Rangers were in the middle of their coaching search, I did a fairly in-depth feature on Knobloch where I made a lot of calls to people around the league just to find out if people felt like he was a legitimate NHL head coaching candidate. This guy is very highly thought of around the league. I think a lot of players that I spoke to that have played for him before, just glowing reviews 
a guy who a lot of them told me they felt like would eventually get that NHL opportunity and was one of their favorite coaches that they had played for. I spoke to Dylan Strom. I spoke to Connor Brown. I spoke to some of the Rangers' younger players who had had him in Hartford. Just everybody really seemed to enjoy playing for him. A pretty soft-spoken, mild-mannered type of guy, but I think a very organized guy, a guy where it seems like communication between him and the players is a strong suit. I think he's a real straight shooter in those situations from from what I've gathered. And so you got to feel really good for him. I can tell you too, I, I personally feel good for him because in my time dealing with him, he's the only Hartford coach that I've known since I've been on the beat. Always been very generous with his time. Always been a really nice guy. Definitely appreciate the time that he gave me over the years when I would go up on my occasional visits with Hartford or even over the phone a few times. So definitely appreciate that and definitely happy for the guy because this is a great opportunity for him with a very, very talented team. Now, it's going to be pressure-packed. There's going to be a lot of heat coming his way, a lot of questions coming his way. The, the media presence when it comes to a lot of those Canadian teams is bigger than what you're going to see in most American NHL cities. And the level of expectations for that team with the star power that they have with McDavid and Saddle, there's not going to be much of a honeymoon period for him, I don't believe. But how can you say no if you're Knobloch? to an opportunity like that. And I know this, I can tell you for sure, he was very well thought of in the Rangers organization, but I also never got the sense, especially this past summer, that he was seriously considered for the job. The Rangers always seem so focused on getting a guy with experience, and we've talked about this before, how it just seems so hard for these guys that don't have that quote-unquote NHL experience to break through and finally get that chance. It seems like sometimes... General managers and teams are a little too close-minded to that. So knowing that this situation with the Rangers probably wasn't going to lead to an NHL opportunity for him, at least not in the next couple years, for him to then get the opportunity in Edmonton, I mean, how could he say no? Obviously, it was a pretty, I think, easy decision for him. And now we'll see how he does. But a little bit of a hit to the Rangers from an organizational standpoint. Certainly a coach who I think had done a pretty solid job of grooming some of their young players, especially the last year or two since I think they've recommitted to letting some of their prospects spend more time in the AHL. You're looking at guys like Brennan Offman right now and Brett Berard and Adam Sikora and Dylan Garand and Matthew Robertson. These are guys who are really getting ample time to, to work on their game and develop at the AHL level. The same thing goes for Will Cooley, who I think we're seeing now with the way that he's adapted to the NHL game after a full season of playing for Hartford last year, how much that prepared him for this opportunity. So Knobloch certainly should get some of the credit for that. And now we'll see how he does with this new opportunity. The, Steve Smith, who was an assistant for Knobloch, now takes over for the Hartford job. I'm going to try to check in with Hartford, I think pretty soon. Maybe we'll have a guest on the podcast at some point to give us some updates from there as well because they're playing really well. I think they're 8-3-1 and one so far this season. So a lot of good stuff happening for the Wolfpack as well. But I just wanted to end this first segment on that note, just offering congratulations to Chris Knobloch, wishing him the best, and we'll see how he does in that pressure cooker in Edmonton. 
Now, with that, let's move on. Let's get to our interview with Amanda. And following this chat about the Rangers and the Devils, I will get to some of your Twitter questions. Now let's welcome into the show a guest who is going to help us get very familiar with the Rangers' upcoming opponent. I think a lot of people would argue at this stage, especially given what happened in the playoffs last year, probably the Rangers' biggest rival at the moment, and that would be Amanda Stein, who covers the New Jersey Devils. She's the official team reporter. You can find all of her work on their official website, certainly on Twitter. So Amanda... Thank you for taking the time to join us. I know you're a little busier than I am this week, so I appreciate you carving out a little time. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Vince. I always uh, appreciate chatting with you. Yeah, no, and hopefully we'll be able to unpack a lot of stuff in this interview because this is going to be the first time that these teams see each other since the playoffs, and I think there's a lot of anticipation going into it. I think a lot of Rangers fans are obviously looking for a bit of revenge here, but the disclaimer is that neither team is going into this at full strength. And I feel like that's probably where we need to start because especially yeah. the, the devils have been riddled with injuries early on. And the two big names are Jack Hughes and Nico Heischer. So can you just give us a little rundown of where they stand? I know Hughes is not even eligible to play on Saturday, so he's definitely out, but just actually, it, so he might actually, so oh. that's, so this is, this is the latest. So okay, um, right before the team left for Winnipeg, we chatted with Lindy Ruff as he normally does. And I did ask him about his, you know, two top fours. It's really that one, two punch down the middle, how everyone is doing. And it turns out that there is a possibility that Jack will meet the team in Pittsburgh tomorrow for their game against the Penguins. It's only a May kind of situation. So certainly we don't know if it's going to happen yet, but that certainly is also a good sign because you don't bring a player on a road trip, he's not on the trip, but meeting the team on the tail end of a road trip if he's not going to be able to play. So whether he goes or not, whether he's in Pittsburgh or not, it's a really positive sign that they're even talking that way when it comes to Jack, right? Like you're going to be cautious about a player like him. And when he was first injured, the idea was week to week. They're going to see how he's doing. And we know Jack He wants to be in the lineup. I'm sure it's absolutely killing him, Nico as well, what's been happening with the team. So there is a possibility that if Jack doesn't make his debut or his re-debut, I guess, his return against the Penguins, he may in fact, you know, bring a little more to uh, to the fire on that Saturday night. But nothing is confirmed. But certainly when you hear a player might join a team on the road trip, you know, that would really bring something to the game on Saturday. Interesting. So so he's <laughs> so it sounds like he's relatively close. Whether he plays on yeah. Saturday, we're not gonna know that for probably a handful more days, but it sounds like he's getting close. Yeah, exactly. And that was sort of the thing when he got injured. You know, they were really talking, you know, Lindy Ruff, the the first thing he said is, We are fortunate it is not as bad as we thought. We're fortunate that it's only week to week. And it'll be about two weeks if he does come back on Saturday. So it it is pretty accurate because week to week doesn't necessarily mean four to six weeks, right? Mm -hmm. They were just being cautious with his timeline. So if he's able to get into the lineup against Pittsburgh, if he's able to get into the lineup against um, the Rangers on Saturday night, that's going to be a massive boost for this team. Not just because of the player that he is, that I don't even, I don't need to tell you about who he is as a player, but 
just for what the team is going through right now. I mean, you know, yes, the Rangers are without Adam Fox, right? But if you have your one-two punch down the middle in Nico and Jack, I mean, that's a massive, massive hole that you're asking the rest of the team to fill. So just having one of them back would be nice. What about Heischer? What's the latest with him? Right now, it's sort of a day-by-day thing. And that's the term that, (laughs) excuse me, is being used right now. Because it is a situation where they do check in on him day by day, see how he's feeling. Um, I've seen him at the rink. You know, everyone keeps asking me, is he alive? Yes, he is alive. I've seen him around. Um, But again, it's one of those situations where when you have a player that is so important to this team, you have to be super cautious about his return and making sure he's, you know, he'll give the timeline. He'll tell them when he's ready. And he's a smart guy. He won't put himself in before he knows he's fully ready to go. So it sounds like maybe a chance with him, but but we don't really have much clarity on that so far. I, I don't I don't think you'll I mean I I think it'll be a little while, but mm-hmm. what that means I don't know. I wouldn't push for both of them back on Saturday. Let's put it that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So maybe Hughes <laughs> a little bit something. more of a, Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well even if Hughes plays that certainly adds a lot of juice to the to the game, but we'll have to wait and see on that. And you know, this early in the season as you touched on, I think taking the cautious approach Makes a lot of yep. sense. Why push these guys? We just saw the Rangers do that with Igor Shosturkin last week. Right, I think it, yeah. if the, if this were a playoff type of setting, I think he probably would have played over the weekend. But I think they decided, you know what? Let, let's let's scale this back a little bit and let's give him a little extra time. And I do think he looks like he will be ready for Saturday. So the Rangers will get Igor back probably Saturday. Looks like they will have Ryan Lindgren, but looks like no Philip Heedle and no Adam Fox. So both teams come on a little banged up. The Devils are obviously having to adjust on the fly without their two top centers. You touched on how big that is. I mean, you could argue two of their most important players. Maybe they're two most important players. They are, yeah. Yeah. So what what has been going on with the team? Like, I know they lost 6-3, I think, in Winnipeg on Tuesday night. So what are sort of the vibes around the team right now? You know, where do they feel like they need to tighten things up? You know, it's been a struggle. Like, I, I, there's, there's no way around it. It has been a struggle. It was... A struggle when Nico went down and then, you know, that compounded when Jack went down, who has been so creative and incredible. You know, when he uh, got injured, he was leading the league in points with 20 points. Um, So it's a huge hole offensively. But what's so interesting about it is it's such a creative hole, right? The way Nico plays, the way Jack plays is so incredibly creative, especially when it comes to Jack. So I think the process over the last few games has really been about, you know, how do we fill the creativity that Jack has that allows him to score so many goals, but knowing we don't have that creativity in our games ourselves, right? He's such a unique talent. So I think it's been a little bit about that. How are, how is the team going to fill all those minutes that he brings, but not in the same way? So there's a lot of different pieces at, at work here. And the other thing is the defense, right? You've got a lot of young defensemen. You've got Luke Hughes, who has only played 15 NHL games, uh, regular season games, I should say. Um, Kevin Ball is still sort of figuring things out. And you lost two big pieces in Ryan Graves and Damon Severson from last year. So I think that's really where this team is lacking right now, is on the defensive side of the game. Um, It's sort of this thing where they're – they're collapsing into themselves. They don't really have the same type of structure that we saw last year. 
And that has been a big issue for the team because if you look, they're giving up so many more goals than they were used to last year. And their goaltending has been okay, but it hasn't been in a situation where if the defense does collapse in front of them, the the goaltender is making that big save. It's almost that there's too much mediocre going on, right? And not one sort of taking over the other. And right now, that's that's probably their biggest issue is not being able to to either defend a lead or just defend their opponents properly. You, you touched on Luke Hughes. I want to ask you about him because there's a lot of intrigue around him now in his rookie mm-hmm. season. A lot of talent there, very high draft pick. We know the pedigree with his brother Jack and all that. So tell us a little bit about him. What kind of talent is he and what are you seeing from him early on? Just like his brothers, he's an incredible skater. And I think that that's one of Luke's strongest assets. He's, he's a very smart player, but the way he skates, the way he can keep up through the, in a game through his skating ability is really quite remarkable. And, you know, he's only 20 years old. He only has 15 games to his experience. And I believe that that's something that really needs to be honed in on because there are so much, you know, there are so many high expectations for him on the offensive side of the puck. You know, he's got the points, he's bringing it together, but there's still that major learning curve. But, and the, the important thing is that Lindy Ruff is the type of coach or he's become the type of coach from, you know, his beginning years um, who is willing to accept the mistakes of young players and give them the opportunity right away to correct themselves. So I think you're seeing a lot of that going back and forth when Luke does make a defensive or he has a defensive lapse or whatnot, he's going right back out there. He's quarterbacking the first power play. There's all these sort of things that you see these glimpses of when his defensive side of the game comes together, he's going to be, you know, a top defenseman in this league, but he's still young. He's still learning the game. And he's got some great mentors around him, right? Like the other night he was playing with Dougie Hamilton. He's played with veteran uh, Brandon Smith. And the other day when he was paired up with Dougie for the first time, I saw them both in the locker room kind of talking. And Luke was walking through and Dougie pulled him aside and brought him over to the board that they have there that has the whole ice surface. And the two of them were like in-depth talking about the defensive side of the game and what Dougie needs from Luke and Luke explaining what he does. And I think that that's the type of player that Luke is too. He absorbs so much. He wants to learn. He wants to know, and he wants to get better. I just thought that was a great interaction between the two of them. Yeah, no, that's one of those cool things you get to witness in the locker room. And and the upside I think is, is definitely there. Rangers fans have seen oh, it with, yeah. all, <laughs> with all the young players that they've integrated into this lineup in recent years. It doesn't always happen right away, but I think most people feel like Hughes can end up being, you know, a really big player, especially considering some of the guys that they lost in the offseason. They're counting on him now to to step into this lineup. When I look at the lineup, especially when they're healthy, they were so yeah. dynamic last year. And then they go out and they add Tyler Toffoli, which I thought was a really solid move for them in the offseason. And now they've got a full season of Timo Meyer. So when they are fully healthy, yeah. it feels like in some respects, could you argue the Devils might be capable of even more firepower than what we saw from them oh, last season? Absolutely. And you have to consider, right? Like Nico has been out since late September, or late September, late October. So they really haven't had this opportunity to play as a full team. You know, one player you didn't mention there was Thomas Noshik. And 
he's he's you know a good third fourth line guy who's so responsible defensively on the puck he only played two games to start the season and then got injured and came back the last couple games so they haven't been able to field their full lineup for at least two three games in a row and Tyler Toffoli has been an excellent excellent addition with his finishing ability he leads the team in goals right now but yeah absolutely when they get their full team together there's no doubt there's no doubt that they're going to be a better team hopefully a lot more responsible and the thing that I'm most curious about when they get the whole team together eventually when everyone's healthy is what their five on five game is going to look like because that's been the biggest flaw, one of the biggest flaws for this team. They've relied a lot on their power play, as you should when you get those opportunities. But the five-on-five five game has been a lot more difficult for this team to produce. So, you know, one side of it is last year they really, you know, took the league by storm. But now they aren't. It, it looks like they're almost not able to play with the same amount of speed as what made them so successful last year, because teams are kind of catching on to the tendencies. You know, they're scouted a little more in that regard. They're not taking anyone by surprise. But that doesn't mean that they're still not a very good team. But you just have to get a little more creative on how you're going to use your speed and stuff. But Tyler Toffoli, going back to your original question about him and bringing him in. He's he's been a huge addition to have a finisher on the wing that really was kind of lacking last year. There, you know, there was so much um, moving around in the lineup. No one had almost that pure talent the way he does. And Timo to have Timo for a full year that's massive for this team. He's got goals in three straight right now. Um, there's no one on the team that's like him with his size, his ability to bump people off pucks and score at the same time. He was someone who came in last year who you could really tell he was kind of figuring out what the system was, how he fit in. It's hard when you get dra- when you get traded in the middle of the year, especially on a really good team because everyone's in their flow. Now he's becoming part of that flow. And in the absence of both Jack and Nico, he's really stepped up his offensive game. And I think that's extremely important because he is a streaky player, right? So the fact that he's gotten going now, hopefully that will con- continue forward. You mentioned the five on five play, and this is one of the things that's going to fascinate me in this first Mm -hmm. matchup and and when they do play each other over the course of the season, because last year during that playoff series, it felt like at five on five, (laughs) the Devils just as the series went on, they kept getting better and and the Rangers didn't seem to have an answer for it. You touched on the We know the skill. You touched on the speed to me, certainly one of the fastest teams in the league, especially when they're healthy. But I'm really curious about within this matchup now is the Rangers with this new system with Peter LaViolette and some of the neutral zone trapping that they're doing where they play that one, three, one, and they try to slow you down coming through the neutral zone. I'm very curious to see that part of this matchup because it's going to, in some ways be maybe strength against strength a little more now, because you have a really dynamic fast team in the devils. And then you have a team in the Rangers. That's gotten much better under Peter LaViolette of slowing those type of teams down. So, you know, that speed is still what you touched on. The devils need to get back to that. That's their game. So so how do you kind of see that playing out? It's a really good point. It's a really good point. And obviously you, you watch the Rangers way more than I do. And I watch the devils more. And just, you know, for you to point out that under LaViolette, their neutral zone play is so much better. Well, that's where the Devils excel, right? That's what made them so successful last year. Their ability to enter the zone, enter the offensive zone by their creative play and their north-south game in the, the neutral zone, that's what's made them so successful. 
So you're right. It will sort of be this, you know, hard object meets wall. Who's going to, to, to win out here? And for New Jersey, they, they may come into this a little bit wounded, right? Like they, they haven't been playing well. It's been a bit of a struggle, as we talked about before. So it's almost, you know, you have to wonder, is this one where you, you break out under the energy of the game? Or does it become that much more difficult? Because I think the Rangers are more different this year than the Devils are different from last year. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah. I, I think there, there's definitely something um, more tangible in the difference of the way the Rangers are playing. So in a sense, it's going to become a completely new beast for uh, New Jersey to go up against. Is that, is that a fair assessment? Yeah, no, no, absolutely. Really much different? Yeah, absolutely. Well, the, the Devils, you know, they they add to Foley. We've talked about some of that stuff, but they are largely the same group, the same coach, yeah. the same system. The, the Rangers have a lot of the same guys, but they're playing a different style this year. It's been very effective so far, and now I feel like they're almost being groomed to handle a team like the Devils better, but this is yeah. going to be a t- this is going to be a test of can they do it. Now, it'll really be a test when the Devils are fully healthy, but at least we're going to get a glimpse of it on Saturday. Now, two more two more quick things I want to ask you about before I let you go, Amanda. One is Lindy Ruff, because he took a lot of heat when he was here in New York as an assistant coach under David Quinn. Rangers fans are ready to get him out of town, but you, it's hard not to be impressed by what he's done with the Devils. Now, I don't know if he's reinvented himself, but your your boots on the ground. I know you're there every day. I'm curious to hear from your perspective. What has made him most effective with this group? What, from a standpoint of the way that he's molded them, ha- has stood out to you? Why do you think he's been so good in this role with the Devils? You you brought up a really good you know a really good question there. Has he reinvented himself? Has he figured you know? Has he changed? He will openly admit, and he has, he is a completely different coach than his first year in the league. And he's a completely different coach than he was even seven years ago, right? And what he has learned is to A, um, take a deep breath. (laughs) That's always really important because of how different the athletes are right now, right? They're a completely different breed than when he started. And we're really starting to see even from 10 Seven years ago, they're starting to become a lot more different. And what he really has done with this group is created this open door policy where he will tell you what you've done wrong, but he also allows for conversation. He never makes it a one way sort of thing. Right. And I think that that's really important. He allows players to discuss with him why they made certain decisions. And if he disagrees with them, why he made it he will tell them why and allow them to rebuttal, right? So it's almost like this this debate that goes on about everything as opposed to I'm the coach, this is what I need you to do. He wants to understand why his young creative players are deciding to make the moves that they are. And I think that that's just a degree of trust, right? You earn a different type of trust where, you know, you're kind of on the same page, even if you don't agree and you know that you have to play the way the coach wants you to he's still listening to you, right? And I think that's the most important thing with this type of athlete that we have today, and especially in a locker room like New Jersey's where they're so young. And the other thing I would say, and most people don't really know this or see this about Lindy, um, which I really do have the privilege of seeing in my position, is he's really fun. you know. And that might shock some people because he does have such a stern face when you're talking to him in the media. But he's, you know, he is really, you know, 
he talks to players about all kinds of things. He tries to stay up to date and understand exactly what 20 year olds are talking about. And he'll laugh with them. And, you know, the other thing that I know about him is there's a pool table, or not a pool table, a ping pong table in the devil's locker room. Sometimes he'll pick up the paddle and he'll play against his team, you know, or like members of the team. And I think it's just those little things that go a long way from the different type of Lindy Ruff, scruffy kind of, you know, mean face is not the right word, but, you know, that sort of angry tenor that he used to have uh, way back when. He's a, he's softened. He's softened, but mm-hmm. he's still firm with his expectations. And it's awesome to see because I was nervous when he first came in. I'm not going to lie. I like, <laughs> oh, no. I'm like, oh, no. What am I getting into here? But he's been an absolute pleasure to work with. And, um, you know, I, I'm in my mid-30s and he still relates to me. So it's it's nice to see him uh, be able to do that with, with young players. And look, if, if there's any indication, Jack had said, Lindy has transformed my game. He has allowed me to become the player I am. And if a player like of Jack's caliber, a player like Jack who does not ever mince his words, you know that Lindy's doing something right. Yeah, it's it's interesting to hear you talk about that stuff because I think that was an important thing the Rangers needed more of, those open lines of com- communication mm-hmm. relating relating to their coach, feeling like yeah. they were getting direct messages and could deliver a message back and also just team bonding type of stuff there there's more of that under laviolette that, that i'm sensing right now and the rangers players seem to really it's be amazing in- how that can change things yeah right yeah, like it's yeah. amazing when when you change that relationship between coach and player what that translates into yeah yeah last thing and i'm, I'm probably taking too much of your time i appreciate no, it you're never taking <laughs> <laughs> there there is one more thing i want to ask you about and that's just the, the rivalry and not so much, I mean, the New York, New Jersey thing is obviously a big part of it. I don't know how much that plays in for the players, but because of the fact that they saw each other in a seven game series in the playoffs last year, and it ended the way that it ended. What do you sense from the devil's players? Like does now they have one more game. They, they're playing Pittsburgh on Thursday night. So it's not like it's the next game. Maybe you haven't yeah. talked to them about it a whole lot yet, but beating the Rangers, and and now having this sort of budding rivalry again with them, like what do you sense that, that this game will mean a little extra to the players because of all that? For sure. I, I, I really do because, you know, you have so many players on this team who are, you know, we've talked about it. They're so young and that pivotal game seven was the best, most important game they've ever played in their NHL careers. Right. And that's significant. Like not only is it the rival, but you come from behind in the series, you shut out the opponent, like all those things. Right. And so you want, you know, I think they kind of have this feeling like, okay, that wasn't a one-off. Like we are still that really good team that can take it to you. And when you have that, you know, feeling of like, that was the best game we played. You feel the energy. They're guys who thrive off of that energy they're absolutely going to be, you know, getting up for that game like they don't for any other game, um, especially because it's at home, right? Like, and and you, you've been there, like, it's, the crowd is all kinds of split, right? So, yes, yes. Just, yeah, I mean, I don't even know if split's the right word. It definitely There's a lot of blue in those stands. We'll, we'll yeah. just, let, yeah, I'll let yeah. you say that part. Yeah, I'll yeah. I'll let you say that part. But, um, I mean, how could it not, right? If, fans if you know as media members we look forward to covering these types of games our energy is driven from the outside we have no determination on the outcome well they do and so how could you not 
Awesome, Amanda. Well, I really do appreciate it. Make sure to check out her work. I, I If there's any, any way I could help you out to reciprocate, let me know. I do appreciate the time and, and I will see you on Saturday. It's great to speak to you and I'm sorry I ramble on a lot, but I appreciate having you or speaking with you. Welcome back, and thanks again to Amanda for taking some time to chat with us this afternoon. It's unfortunate that both teams aren't at full strength going into this game, and so I think that takes a little bit of the buzz off because if both teams are at full strength, it would feel like this is our first chance to see how the Rangers are able to respond and counter the way that the Devils turned that series on its head and knocked them out in last year's playoffs. Now, I think no matter what happens in this game, there's going to be a little bit of this, well, we still have to wait and see. We don't really get any definitive answers from this. So it kicks the can down the line a little bit in that regard. But still, I thought it was important with this being their first meeting and the Devils in many respects now, I think being the Rangers' chief rival when you factor in the playoff loss when you factor in the divisional opponent when you factor in that the devils and the rangers are certainly two of the top teams in the metro division and should both be in the mix for that division title this season i thought it was important to get a little bit of a breakdown on them just as we did a few weeks ago with the carolina hurricanes because i think those are the two opponents that the rangers are going to have to maybe concern themselves with the most this season and there's a decent chance that they'll see one of them, if not both of them, in the playoffs at some point. So that is where my thought process was with that. Now let's get on to some other thoughts, and we are going to take this week's set of Twitter questions. I'm not going to call it X ever. I'm going to keep calling this Twitter, if any of you are wondering. But our first question comes from... Michael Silvers, who wrote, is this Mika's slowest start to the season? Thanks. I'll hang up and listen. Michael loves to hang up and listen on this show. I hope you're not waiting too long on hold for these questions. So this is a question that actually came up with LaViolette today. And LaViolette, I don't want to say he was dismissive, but I would say his level of confidence that Mika will get on track and that this early season drought is nothing to be concerned with was very high. He said he believes it's only a matter of time. He repeated that. He feels like the looks are there. Maybe the shot is a tick off right now, but you know that Mika has that shot in his tool bag and that eventually he thinks the goals are going to start coming in bunches. And quite frankly, it's hard to disagree with that. Mika is sitting on only two power play goals so far this season, none at five on five, only one point through 14 games at five on five. So the production's not good, no doubt about it. But there is a history here. And it's not just one season. When you look at it, it's really multiple seasons. Michael asked about his slowest start to a season. You could argue he's had a few that have been just as slow, if not slower. Mika reminded me of this when I sat down with him last week. Last season, he didn't score his first five on five goal until game number 15. The Rangers' next game, is going to be game number 15. So maybe this is right about the time when we see him start to break out. And what ended up happening last year? 
he finished with a career high 91 points. So we saw him progressively heat up as the season went on and ultimately be named team MVP. I think it's hard to dispute that he wasn't their most valuable player last season. So he certainly earned himself some leash, the benefit of the doubt. You believe that this is a guy who has a proven enough track record that he will get on track. And you can continue to go back from there. The previous season, the 21-22 season, I believe he was on three goals heading into December. So another really start, slow start for him that season. And then you go back even a year prior to that, David Quinn's last year here, that 56-game shortened season due to COVID. Mika, a lot of you will remember, started really slow that season and then absolutely caught fire at the end of the year and ends up, I believe, putting up 50 points in those 56 games that season. And then I don't think he had a really slow start my first season on the beat. I could probably pull these numbers up. I'm just winging it with these questions right now, but I'm fairly certain that I'm accurate on this. You go back to my first season on the beat, which was the 1920 season. Mika was absolutely rolling when the COVID pandemic hit and shut the season down. He had like 41 goals in 70 games that season. And I think he played even less than 70 because he was injured for a little while. So this is a guy who notoriously for multiple years now has shown us he's not always the fastest starter, but he tends to finish very strong. And we could try to put our finger on exactly why that is. Mika has been pretty upfront about it. I don't think he feels like he has great answers to that question, but I also think that he has the confidence to know that he's been through this before and that he usually finds a way to dig himself out of it. And when he gets hot, we've seen he can get really hot. So Michael, I don't think this is necessarily his slowest start to a season. In some respects, maybe it is, but I think it's pretty much on par with what we've seen in most recent seasons where the goals don't come that much early on, especially at five on five. And then all of a sudden there comes a point where he sort of catches fire. So I think, you know, you don't want to bank on that happening every single season, but again, this is a guy with a track record. And I think you can feel pretty confident that he will at some point start scoring more. He was the Rangers' leading goal scorer last season, and I don't think he just forgot how to score in the offseason. So last year, like I told you, he reminded me this the other day, his first even-strength goal, his first five-on-five goal of the season came in game number 15. The next game for the Rangers will be game 15. So this is right about the time where I think you can expect to see him pick it up, and I know that's what he's hoping for, the Rangers are hoping for, and a lot of you are hoping for. All right, there was a few topics where I wanted to bunch a couple questions here together because I thought people asked them in different interesting ways. So the next couple questions are related to right wing, which I think a lot of people believe is probably the thinnest position on this roster. The first question comes from Chris Kreider's number one supporter who wrote, do you think Kaka will be back up on the first line eventually? I know he didn't do much after 10 games with Mika and Kreider, but I also don't think Wheeler is the answer to that line. And then we have another question from Cat Daddy, who wrote, when looking at the number one right wing spot, could there be an in-house solution that involves a young rookie, but not one that most think? 
Watching Hartford today, I noticed Brett Berard often. He's playing right wing, unlike Brennan Othman, on a top line. His speed and puck pursuit are assets. Thoughts on the idea of Berard? All right. A lot to unpack between those two questions. So will Kako be back up on that first line eventually? I think the answer is yes. Mika pretty much said that to me the other day, that he believes that there will probably come a time when Kako gets another look. And we've talked about this before, but they're very keenly aware of this as well, that we know that line was really strong defensively, and we know that a lot of the analytics tell us that as far as expected goal rates, shot share, high danger scoring chances, possession, all of these different metrics that give you a feel for how that line is performing, they were all very favorable when Kaka was playing with Mika and Kreider. The one thing that wasn't happening was finishing their opportunities, putting the puck in the back of the net. Now, that is a crucially important part of their job, especially when you're the top line, but as we just talked about with Mika, in time, if you keep possessing the puck, if you keep outshooting your opponent, if you keep generating quality chances, eventually you have to figure that the floodgates will open. And I think that the Rangers know all of this, and they feel like that's something they can go back to. LaViolette described the decision to move Kako down in the lineup as a change of scenery. He felt like maybe it was becoming a little mental. Maybe it was becoming a little too much of a situation where they were overthinking it, where they were putting too much pressure on themselves, and he thought he could alleviate some of that pressure with just at least a temporary change. So I do believe that there's a very strong chance that at some point we will see Kako back in the top right wing spot. And one of the other reasons beyond what we just laid out with you know different metrics and feeling like that line can succeed together is, as you touch on, Wheeler. Is he the answer to that line? Now, give him some credit because I do think that he has been much more noticeable in recent games. He had an assist on Kreider's 5-on-5 goal where that line finally got a 5-on-5 goal in the last game against Columbus on Sunday. So that was certainly a positive sign. And I do think that he looks to be getting a little more comfortable. So I don't think it's been uh, disastrous or even a bad situation with him on that line so far. But over the course of a full season, especially as you think about what is your ideal playoff lineup going to look like, is Blake Wheeler going to be a guy who you want logging the type of workload that it's going to require to play on the top line at this stage in his career? Probably not. I think the Rangers would prefer him in an ideal situation to play fewer minutes, be able to maximize those minutes by doing it further down in the lineup. So I think right now it's fine to keep it that way. It absolutely looks like the Rangers will keep it that way for the time being. But eventually I, I do think we could see it turn and that might mean Kako back on the top right wing spot. And it's almost by default if you end up moving Wheeler off there because what are really your other options? We talked about Lafreniere and Panarin. You got to keep those guys together. Maybe they end up on the top line with Mika, as I suggested in the opening segment of the show, but then you still need another top six right winger. So this could ultimately be something that they address at the trade deadline, but I absolutely believe that they would love for Kako to ultimately settle into one of those roles. He's a guy who offensively 
is still looking to get it going. I think there's certainly some confidence issues going on right now, although I will say that from talking to him at recent practices that he seems to be okay with this. In the past when he was moved down, I felt a little more frustration from him. Now I almost did feel like chatting with him the other day that he does maybe feel like, okay, I'm going to take a deep breath here and try to get myself on track and not overthink this. So maybe this was the right move from Laviolette for a temporary spot here. But there aren't a whole lot of internal options as far as right wing is concerned, unless you're going to take one of the young left wingers like Will Cooley or Brennan Offman and have them change positions. Now, Cat Daddy brings up Brett Berard. We should note that Berard is having a really strong start to the season with Hartford. Last I looked, he was among the top three players on the team as far as points. So he is definitely, I think, making a name for himself. Definitely looks like he's closer to being NHL ready so far than, let's say, a guy that we've compared him to in Adam Sakura, who's also, by the way, younger. So that maybe shouldn't come as a huge surprise. But Berard has been one of the most effective forwards for a Hartford team that's playing really well. So could, if Berard keeps us up, could he work his way into the conversation as a call-up later this season? Yes. I don't think that would be a shock. If you play well enough and you earn it, then you should get that opportunity. But is he a NHL top-line right-winger on a team that fancies itself a Stanley Cup contender? I'm not so sure about that. And quite frankly, I don't know if that would be a fair position to put him in. That would be asking a lot of a rookie who just came out of playing college should really be a senior in college right now. We've talked about the fact that he's a little bit undersized. And I think a lot of people question, you know, his durability. He's had some injury issues in the past. So I think that would be asking a lot, but he looks like the type of player who, if he continues to progress this way, could end up being a really effective bottom six winger for you. And I think that's how the Rangers envision him. Now, I don't want to put a ceiling on the kid. Maybe he does end up being more. But again, as a fresh call-up, as a rookie, as a guy who was playing college hockey a handful of months ago and was a late-round pick and has some of the limitations that we've talked about, I do think that would be asking a lot to have him come up and play a top-line spot. I think it's more likely you would see Cooley or Othman getting that opportunity. But even that, I think, is a little more far-fetched just because you'd also be asking them to make a position switch. So Lafreniere is definitely locked into one of those top six right wing spots right now. And I think the ideal scenario for the Rangers is that Kako eventually works his way in there. And Wheeler is a guy who, at least for now, because of his history as an established player in the league, you're at least comfortable using as a placeholder there. So that is the immediate plan. But if it becomes more of a concern over the course of the season, Right now, I don't think it's a massive concern because at least from the right wing perspective, they're healthy and they're winning. But as we get closer to the trade deadline, maybe we start having a little more detailed conversations about whether or not they're going to go out and target a right winger. Now, speaking of trade deadline, let's get into our final couple questions, which sort of start peeking ahead toward that. The first one comes from Zandu, who wrote, with Heedle's concussion issues potentially meaning he is out a while, do you see the Rangers adding depth there? 
I know right wing looks like the main need, but with Othman in the AHL and no real center depth to speak of, do you think center gets prioritized? Is doing both possible with our cap situation? And then the other question, which is sort of related to possible acquisitions, comes from Joey Bones, who wrote, do you think Drury looks to follow the same script as the 21-22 deadline and add smaller name players instead of going for a big splash like last season? So here's where we're at right now. And this is a topic that I dove into in that column that I mentioned. So if you want to read a little more detail about the exact financial salary cap side of this, I would encourage you to go check out that story at loha.com slash sports slash Rangers. But I think to address Zandu's question about the cap situation and Joey Bones' question about whether they're going to go out for big splashes, well, I don't think they're going to be able to afford big splashes at this year's trade deadline. As I detailed in that story, to begin the season, before they had any of these injuries, the Rangers were going to be on pace for about $3 million in salary cap space by the time we got to the deadline on March 3rd. Now, because of the Adam Fox injury, they are chipping away at that, and the number's probably going to end up being a little bit lower than we thought it was going to be. As I explained last week, that is because every day that the Rangers dip into that LTIR pool money, they have that extra $9.5 million to use right now, but when they go over the regular salary cap figure and have to dip into that pool money, that means that for that day, they cannot accrue any extra cap space. So on these game days, when you see them calling up Connor Mackey and Louis Domingue and Johnny Bradzinski or whoever it might be, that means they're going over the cap. They're dipping into that LTIR pool money, and therefore that day they are not accruing any cap space. So actually, Adam Fox being on LTIR is going to hurt them as far as what they have at the trade deadline in salary cap space. Because again, nobody's expecting Adam Fox to miss the entire regular season. And once he returns, that means that that LTIR money is going to evaporate. And once that happens, they're going to be stuck with what they have. As an example of what they have, on Tuesday, the Rangers were sitting on only about 840000 in salary cap space. So very limited number right now. And how much they're going to be able to accrue is largely going to depend on how soon Adam Fox comes back. The more days they have to dip into that LTIR pool money, the less cap space they're going to have at the deadline. So I think we should move ahead anticipating that their cap space at the deadline is going to be under $3 million. Maybe it's $2.5 million. Maybe it's $2.75 million. It all depends on when Fox comes back. But if you're only looking at about $2.5 million in salary cap space at the deadline, you're probably not going to be able to afford many big splashes. Now, there are workarounds. Obviously, if you add a player, that means you're going to subtract a player from the roster so you create a little more cap space that way. You can always sweeten the deal a little bit to get another team to retain some salary, and that takes you off the hook for maybe 50% of that particular player's salary. But they don't have as much flexibility as they've had in previous seasons, and that's why I think you're probably going to have to target guys that are 
lower paid type of players, maybe more bottom six type of players or veteran guys who are on cheaper contracts or younger guys who are on cheaper contracts. You're probably not going to be able to go out and get a player who makes three, four, five million dollars per season. So with that, I think you're going to have to see more of the approach that we saw two years ago when it was more about depth pieces. And the Rangers, I believe, acquired four different players headlined by Andrew Kopp and Frank Vetrano that year. I don't think they're going to be able to get that many players this year. It's probably going to be more like one or two. And with that, I think the two most obvious positions to target are going to be center and right wing, which gets us back to Zandu's question here. Which position do you prioritize? Well, if you asked me a few weeks ago, I probably would have said right wing, and I think you can still make a pretty strong argument for that right now. But given the health concerns with Philip Hedl, I think that maybe I could convince myself today that center is a little bit more of a priority, especially when you consider the effect than an injury to really any of the Rangers' top three centers has on the lineup. Because right now, with Heedle out, that means that Nick Benino is your third-line center. And this is no disrespect to Nick Benino because I think he's a really solid glue guy in this lineup. I think he is an ideal fourth-line center in a lot of respects, does all the grunt work, does all the dirty work, doesn't complain, absolutely knows and embraces his role. I think I told you guys he was joking with me the other day when he got moved up to the third line that, hey, I wish I could turn it on and score 40 goals, but that's just not my game. He knows who he is. We know who he is. And who he is works best in a fourth-line role. You do not want a player like that long-term as your third-line center. So in the event of an injury to whether it's Hedl, Zabanajad, or Trocek, the Rangers really don't have a great option to plug into their top nine right now. Benino has been the choice so far. The other options are Barclay Goudreau or Johnny Brodzinski. Any of those guys on your fourth line, you're fine with. But being a third line center where you're expecting more offense out of those type of players, I think it's asking a lot for those names that I just listed off. So I do think that especially if this Heedle concussion stuff becomes even increasingly more of a concern over the course of the season, that that sort of makes you look more towards center. And the other thing with centers is typically a center can play on a wing if you need him to. A winger can't necessarily move into the middle and play center. So by going out and acquiring a center at the trade deadline, there's probably a little more versatility associated with that, where if you need that particular player to play center due to injury, you have him. And if you're healthy down the middle, and you need that player to shift to a wing, a lot of centers are capable of doing that. So I do think, Joey, to your point, or I'm sorry, Zandu, to your point, that you could sort of start maybe having that debate now. But this is going to be something that we watch how it unfolds in the coming months. You also have to look at who's going to be available. Right now, I think it's way too early to start throwing names out there and speculating about which players the Rangers might target. That's always going to depend on which teams find themselves in and out of the playoff race once we get closer to the deadline. But obviously, the quality of the player and the ability for the Rangers to go out and actually land that player is going to be part of this equation. But right now, yes, I agree that center and right wing are probably the two top positions that they'll talk about at the trade deadline. And I do think that this Heedle injury 
makes us think a little harder about whether it is going to be a center that they need to go out and target. All right, with that, we are going to end this week's episode. Thank you once again to everybody who submitted questions. Thank you once again to Amanda Stein for taking the time to come on the show. I probably should have mentioned this earlier, but I also want to end by sending another congratulations out. We talked about Chris Knobloch, but we also have to send a big congratulations out to Henrik Lundqvist, who is officially inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame on Monday night. Not sure if you guys had a chance to catch that speech. I thought it was really cool to hear him talk about some of the people who have been most influential to him. I actually ran into Benoit Allaire at practice today and sort of joked around with him about getting a big shout-out in that speech from Lundqvist. And if you guys haven't had a chance yet, I wrote what was honestly one of my favorite stories that I've written in a long time about Lundqvist. I wrote a really lengthy, in-depth, advanced story before his Hall of Fame induction that went up on the websites on Monday morning. And I mean, went through all different kinds of stuff, every facet of his career, made a ton of phone calls about that, talked to a few guys in the locker room about that. The stories that come out, especially the story about how he got drafted. I talked to Don Maloney, who's now the team president for the Calgary Flames, but was running the Rangers draft at the time when Lundquist was selected in 2000. The story about how the Rangers end up drafting him is absolutely phenomenal. So please, if you haven't had a chance, go check out that story. I think you might hopefully learn some cool little nuggets about Lundqvist as a competitor, as a player, and his whole career arc here in New York. And again, big congratulations goes out to Hank for a very, very well-deserved induction into the Hockey Hall of Fame. So with that, I'm going to say goodbye for this week. I will warn you guys, next week is Thanksgiving. So next week, as we, I think, have every year we've had the podcast going, will be an off week. There will be no new podcast coming out next week because we always put it out on Thursday morning. And I think next Thursday, a lot of us are going to be busy seeing family and eating a bunch of stuff and hopefully enjoying the holiday. So I want to wish you all a very, very happy Thanksgiving. As always, super, super thankful for you guys. Appreciate each and every single one of you. Enjoy the holiday, and I will talk to you in two weeks from today with another new episode. Take care, everyone. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.